We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Ave That's right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to episode 15 of Resistance Radio Podcast. It's your host, Steve Cunningham of SuscessFidelium.us and the corresponding YouTube channel. I know we've been uh, not as consistent the last couple weeks, but uh, obviously went down to New Mexico, and then uh, last week I can't remember what happened. Don't ask. Uh, get off my back. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I have no idea what happened last week, but I know I couldn't get around to this, and I, I can't remember if it's been two weeks or not. Anyways, a lot of stuff has gone through, but we're going to stick to the mainly the Catholic news this week because uh, it's been the uh, talk du jour, uh, in a sense. We'll lead off with California Confession Bill. The uh, You've heard about this. Uh, this came from uh, J.D. Flynn of Catholic News Agency reporting on May 20th. California State Senate will vote on a bill that will require priests to violate the Silla Confession in certain limited circumstances. An amended text of the bill passed the Senate May 16th. The bill, as amended, would require priests to report to law enforcement knowledge or suspicion of child abuse gained from hearing the sacramental confessions of other priests or co-workers. Now this has uh, the state was it the Senate did pass this the other day, and Bishop Gomez, Archbishop Jose Gomez of L.A. said the bill remains quote an unacceptable violation of our religious freedoms that will do nothing to protect children. As amended, he said quote SB 360 still denies the sanctity of confession to every priest in the state and to thousands of Catholics who work with priests in parishes and other church agencies and ministries. Now. Bishop Michael Barber of Oakland vows disobedience if the bill requiring confessions to violate the sacrament of seal in certain circumstances becomes law. This is from May 27th. Here's what the bishop says. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I am all in favor of laws that protect our children from any form of abuse. The Catholic Church has been working hard to be a leader in safe environment training, vetting of clergy, employees, and volunteers, and reporting allegations to police authorities. However, a new law being proposed by the California State Senate is misguided and does nothing to support our efforts. It aims to strip confidentiality from the sacrament of confession. If passed, it would require priests to report certain sins they heard in confession to the police. This is a violation of one of our most sacred sacraments. According to canon law, any priest who breaks the civil confession, divulging sins he has heard to anyone at any time, commits a moral sin and is in danger of excommunication. A priest reported to me on May 21st that because the publicity surrounding this bill, teenagers on his confirmation retreat hesitate to go to confession recently, as they thought the priests were now required to divulge their sins to law enforcement. Even if this bill passes, no priest may obey it. The protection of your right to confess to God and have your sins forgiven 
and total privacy must be protected. I urge you to contact your state senator today and protest this bill. I will go to jail before I obey this attack on our religious freedom. Yours in Christ, Most Reverend Michael C. Barber, S.J. And you know, bravo to the bishop for saying this, and you know anybody else that is thinking that is going with him on this. But uh, if has anybody looked at the California state constitution? I mean, right there shuts down this whole thing. Done. Completely unconstitutional in the state of uh, state of California. Why? Go look at the California state constitution. <laughs> it's the first article. Article one, Declaration of Rights, Section one, Section thirty two. Article 1 was adopted in 1879. It's right here under, see, there's slavery, section 4. Free exercise and enjoyment of religion without discrimination or preference are guaranteed. This liberty of conscience does not excuse acts that are licentious or inconsistent with the peace or safety of the state. The legislature shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. A person is not incompetent to be a witness or a juror because of his or her opinions on religious belief. This was added November 5th, 1974. Uh, so, there you go. Free exercise and enjoyment of religion without discrimination or preference are guaranteed. Done. Case dismissed. Or, what's going on? I, I haven't seen what the what their argument or what they're using as a, uh, as a basis or a standard on this uh, law. But we forget, like I told, said in the first one, we forget that we that there are state constitutions. We only look at the first one, the, the federal one, which has nothing to do with the states, with how the state runs. Remember, San Francisco was a California in general. I know San Francisco, I think it was. They tried to ban cussing, which, you know, technically is, quote, free speech, even though air has no rights, and evil, air like evil has no rights, and you're not supposed to go cussing, but they were supposed to, they were, they were trying to ban cussing. And it was all, for, uh, I mean, there was no problem with that, but everyone was trying to throw the First Amendment, which says Congress shall not, which has not, doesn't say California, doesn't say San Francisco, doesn't say Denver or Calpins or whatever, it says Congress, that's Congress and the federal government and the District of Criminals, I mean, Excuse me, District of Columbia. First one was right too. You know, something about them. Everyone becomes a criminal when they go to D.C. But you know, there, there you go. We get back to, you know, federalism. A lot of these problems would probably go away. Somebody throw that out there. Tell somebody in California. Hey, it violates the state constitution of California. Done. You go to the state. I mean, it's it's closed book. No, I don't know what they're using. Maybe I should look into it more. Maybe someone else has seen it. I don't know. I haven't heard a thing. I haven't seen or read anything yet on what they're using as a jurisprudence on this. But, uh, yeah, that's a state constitution right there. Anyways, case dismissed. Done. Well, according to my book. <laughs> I don't know. How, maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. I'm not going to say I'm not. But I look at it. or It's a it's a state thing. It's a state constitution thing. It's in the state senate. Uh, somebody throw out. Section 4 of Article 1 in the California Constitution. I uh, say case dismissed. I'll look, uh, Everything will be in the show notes, so go ahead and check it out. Read it for yourself. It's, it, you, it's not even a full scroll scroll down. Just saw this today, May 31st, even though it came out uh, yesterday. Thousands marched behind Broken Mary statue as longtime radio host brings message of unity healing to Chicago. One reason I'm bringing this out is it's in the Chicago Tribune, which 
isn't exactly a Catholic newspaper. And the photo is beautiful. It's got a, a law enforcement carrying Our Lady. And this looks like a Our Lady of Lords statue. Uh, you can usually tell because of the you know, posture one, and uh, if it's got six decades of the rosary on there, it's a traditional way of a traditional statue of Our Lady Lords. But they call it a broken statue. I don't exactly know exactly why. A piece. Oh, uh, the procession was led by the Broken Mary statue that radio host Kevin Matthews found, pieced back together, and wrote a book about the experience. Uh, from the article, hoisted on the shoulders of the sworn to protect and serve, the once shattered statue of the Virgin Mary made its way down through the streets of Chicago into the heart of downtown. Behind her, the flames held by thousands of people flickered, and the soft yet unified voices carried through the breeze. Friday's event, titled There is Hope for the Broken, was inspired by Kevin Matthews, a longtime Chicago radio host, who had a spiritual awakening after he stumbled across a broken Virgin Mary statue sitting next to a dumpster outside a flower shop. Before the candlelight procession began, Matthews gave his testimony at St. John Cancius Catholic Church in Chicago's Goose Island neighborhood about how he found the broken Mary. The pews overflowed with people, thousands sat, hundreds stood. Matthews had just lost his job and recently been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. While driving home one day, he had the urge to pick up some flowers for his wife. As he walked into the flower shop in Grand Rapids, Matthews spotted a blue dumpster. And to his dismay, lying on the ground next to it was a statue of the Virgin Mary. The statue was covered in trash, her body was split in half, and her tiny hands chipped. Matthews took the broken statue home and put it back together, but the cracks and fractured hands remained. He believes the defects of the statue, which he calls Broken Mary, are symbolic of a flawed people, a people in constant need of healing. The message of Broken Mary is, we're all broken, he said. Everyone. We're not perfect, we're flawed, but we're loved. There's another photo. There's a photo right underneath this of just a sea of people holding candles and it looks like they're singing. Uh, I don't know. Looks, there's a couple of people with the hymn books, but uh, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. Now, eight years after finding the statue, Matthews is bringing a broken Mary to a message of unity and healing to Chicago, a place that needs it. My, that was my part. Outside, after Matthew's testimony, a large procession was escorted by Chicago police officers as participants walked the roughly 1.5 miles east along Chicago Avenue to Watertown Place. The crowd walked slowly and moved in silence. They only spoke to recite prayers. As the daylight faded, their candle flames intensified. As they walked closer to downtown and the city noise grew louder, their prayers remained steady. The message was simple. Everyone is broken in need of healing, according to the organizers. Emergency responders and service members, including Chicago Police, Illinois State Police, Chicago Firefighters, and National Guard members were in attendance. Although he grew up Catholic, Matthews returned to find a more active practice in his faith after finding Broken Mary. Those who know him said he has become more loving and selfless. He has changed, it has changed him for sure, said Reverend Joshua Coswell, event coordinator and associate pastor at St. John Cancius Catholic Church. He's more humble, more grateful, and more joyful. Well, that's just beautiful. I mean, that's great. And the great, I mean, the, just, you got to see the photo. I mean, it's incredible uh, how many people were out for that. Just, I mean, there's hope, obviously. Uh, again, this will be in the show notes. Check it out. In unrelated news, Brazilian president signs proclamation consecrating nation to the Virgin Mary. This is from LifeSite News. I've seen it in other places as well. 
Uh, May 22nd, on Tuesday, Brazil was consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in a ceremony that included President Yar Bolsonaro and Bishop Fernando Arares Rifan. The consecration of Brazil, which has more Catholics than any other country to the Virgin Mary, was an initiative of National Deputy Eros Biodini and Brazil's Catholic Parliamentary Front to ask for divine protection and in reparation for sin. Quote, we are doing this for Brazil, for the love of our nation, Biodini was reported as saying. A statue of the Virgin Mary, which depicts her as she appeared to the children visionaries in Fatima, Portugal, was at the ceremony and will remain in a place of honor in the presidential palace. Signing the proclamation of national consecration were President Bolsonaro, Cabinet Minister Floriano Piaxuto, and Biodini. The other signatories were Bishops Arias and the Bishop Emeritus of Brasilia, the nation's capital. Participants at the ceremony included various high-level politicians as well as representatives of various Catholic movements. According to Biodini, quote, This is a simple gesture of faith and love, which is the great importance not only for Catholics but for all of Brazil. During the ceremony, participants prayed the rosary and sang a Marian hymn, accompanied by a number of nuns. Sister Kelly Patricia, one of the founders of the Hesed Institute, a Catholic community sang at the ceremony, according to a statement from the presidential palace. She said, quote, when it comes to the heart of Mary, it means great things. Again, this will be in the show notes for you to check out so that good things happening down there. So, yeah, we're trying to find some good news things. I mean, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And the church is just almost seems like it's wanting to take the steering wheel and take it over. But, yes, there's problems in the church. Let's try to find some good too I mean, there's always good i mean i mean we do call it the good news we i mean yeah there is problems but let's not just focus on that let's also focus on the opposite it's kind of like part of the whole idea of calling this the resistance i mean you got to resist the bad to do some good so you probably seen the art you probably seen about the new deputy prime minister of italy uh i'm not gonna go through the whole story uh, hillary writes about one in the remnant i'll post it in the art in the uh, show notes if you want to read it um but that's a great one. I mean, there's one part in here that talks about there's the uh, let's see there's a proper awakening across Europe going on. A young Dutch politician said after late March, uh, election swept across much of the old leftist guard of his own country's parliament. Uh, we were uh, 36 year old Thierry Baldet was especially jubilant at the thought of an anguish of Eurocrats in Brussels over the political sea change in the Netherlands and across Europe. He said, quote, we, we represent a political philosophy that is fundamentally opposed to the principles of the French Revolution. Wow, that's a great statement. He goes on, I think there's a movement going across European countries, across individual party lines. It is a belief in the European Renaissance. Like I said, I'll link, I'll link this in the show notes section, but... Yeah, I mean, finally, you got some people wake up. Sometimes you have to rock bottom before you find your foundation. Rock bottom is a foundation. Sometimes you have to hit it before you can get back up. BBC News reports Iraq's Christians, quote, close to extinction. It's an article from May 23rd, 2019. In an impassioned address in London, the Reverend Bashar Warda said Iraq's Christians now faced extinction after 1,400 years of persecution. Since the U.S.-led invasion toppled the regime of Saddam Hussein in 
2003, he said the Christian community has dwindled by 83% from around 1.5 million to just 250,000. Off topic on my thing. That was, you know, not an accident. Saddam was keeping the, uh, the hardcore big-time Muslims that were following uh, Muhammad and wanted to kill off Christians. Uh, he was keeping them at bay. Getting him out, that opened up the floodgates. And uh, we did that. I don't know if you're aware of that. We were the ones to get Saddam out. Quote, Christianity in Iraq, he said, one of the oldest churches, if not the oldest church in the world, is perilously close to extinction. Those of us who remain must be ready to face martyrdom. He referred to the current pressing threat from the Islamic State jihadis as the, quote, final existential struggle following the group's initial assault in 2014 that displays more than 125,000 Christians from their historic homelands. Quote, our tormentors confiscate our present while seeking to wipe out our history and destroy our future. In Iraq, there is no red redress for those who have lost properties, homes, and businesses. Tens of thousands of Christians have nothing to show for their life's work, for generations of work, in places where their families have lived, maybe for thousands of years. And it goes on, uh, there's a couple just photos that you'll see that just uh, shows the destruction in some of the churches and uh, such like that. But yeah, we got to pray for our brothers over there. Well, back to uh, this side of the planet. I saw this from uh, Yahoo.com and thought this was a good part for this because I don't know if you saw you know, President Trump the other day said, you know, came out for Gay Pride Month and basically was hoping to decriminalize LGBT across the world. We knew that before he got elected. If you if you went to a rally, a friend of mine brought me to a rally and there was gay flags there. I saw it, you know, I, and no one cared apparently. But yeah, yeah, it raised an eyebrow with me. And no one could answer any of my questions when I brought it up. Anyways, Mike Huckabee, former governor of Arkansas, is claiming that the movement for LGBTQ equality is the, quote, greatest threat to America's moral fiber. The former presidential candidate and father of White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders voiced his anti-LGBTQ views in an interview published Friday on the Christian Post, a conservative Christian news website. Quote, the biggest threat to biblical principles today is the failure to apply a biblical standard of maleness and femaleness, Huckabee told the news site. Huckabee also blamed the Christian church, quote, unquote, for failing to teach Americans, quote, what biblical marriage should look like. His, he says, quote, people are afraid that if they are really biblical, they will alienate people, and I think that's nonsense. Before becoming a politician, Huckabee was a Southern Baptist pastor. The Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Protestant denomination in the U.S. and holds conservative views about marriage and gender equality. Kinda. I'll put that part in. Kinda. They're okay with divorce. Obviously, contraception. You know, they like the Bible, except for things they don't like. More broadly, studies, studies suggest that white evangelicals often stand apart from other American religious groups in their adamant opposition to same-sex marriage and LGBTQ rights. About 58% of white evangelicals are opposed to same-sex marriage compared to only 30% of all American adults, according to a public religion research survey. The article goes on to talk about other Protestant denominations in this. Again, like I said, I'll link this in the show notes. But what the what caught my attention was this whole thing about 
how can be saying that it's the greatest threat to America's moral fiber? Well, America was, well, quote unquote, first off, what is America? Is it both continents? We call, you know, Our Lady Guadalupe is the patroness of the Americas, North and South America and Central America. We're the United States of America. We forget that OF part, of America. We forget the U.S. part. We just say America. Oh, you're American. Well, technically, where's that at? Is that North America, South America? What part of the Americas? Canada's Americas. Mexico's part of America. Everything in the South in Southern, South America's America. What America? United States of America. So, America, what was the U.S. built on? Uh, Freemasonry and Protestant faith, religions. Uh, Twelve of the thirteen colonies had established state-sponsored Protestant religions. The only thing they agreed on was that Catholics were terrible and they weren't allowed to do really anything. We had zero rights when we came over. Uh, Charles Carroll Carrollton, even though I'm not exactly a big fan of his, was you know the richest Catholic in the states, but he had he could not run for office because they didn't allow Catholics to do that. I mean, it was on the books. And then on top of that, what is the moral standard of Protestantism? It doesn't exist. Luther, who's the father of Protestantism, you know, talked about he could commit adultery, what, a thousand times a day and be totally cool if he was, you know, because he was, quote, uh, saved, once saved, always saved. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no morality, no morality in Protestantism. So how can he be saying this? He has a pro- he, for him to say this has a problem with his exact stance again with the B- Southern Baptist. Thing. Have you ever heard them call out divorce? Uh, I got a, there's a, I know there's a sermon on there when Father goes after them for talking about that, saying, "Yeah, this was a great. He did a great. Like, it wasn't Huckabee, but it was, a, it was the director or the head of the Southern Baptist Committee, and since he had a great statement, but then Father calls him out. Uh, but yeah, you guys are inconsistent about the rest of the thing about divorce. Yeah, <laughs> I mean. Contraception. Where are they at? What is the quote biblical thing? Who are these guys on this? Because apparently divorce is totally okay and totally fine in Protestantism. Anyway, thought that I'd share that. I'll link it in the show notes section. I decided to put it on uh, Facebook to just get a rouse from friends of mine too, if they're still looking at it. If any friends of mine that well, that I went to you know live with beforehand, if they're still following me, highly unlikely anymore. They all think I'm a whack job. Uh, might not be able to argue that one to the abortion section of our show today because that has been the main attraction if you could say for the last couple weeks Illinois lawmakers pass abortion bill far worse than New York's this is from live action uh, May 31st Uh, Illinois Baptist tweet out the Illinois Senate just passed SB 25 the Reproductive Health Act by a vote of 34 to 20 the bill expands abortions through nine months and requires insurance companies to provide coverage. The bill has already passed the House, and Governor has said that he will sign it. Talk about, you know, a, a man getting involved. They don't like men not doing it, but a man can totally sign off on it. No problem. No questions asked. From the headline, today the Illinois House passed a bill even more extreme than New York's Reproductive Health Act passed in January, and it includes a repeal of the ban on gruesome DNX or partial birth abortions. It goes on and said, remember New York? Remember Virginia? That's what started all the abortion wars among the states. And yet the Illinois bill sponsor, Representative Kelly Cassidy, claimed, quote, to our neighbors in Illinois who hear the news around the country, worry that this war on women is coming to Illinois, I say, not on my watch. 
to the people of Missouri, Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Ohio, I say not on my watch. Someone should remind Representative Cassidy that this war didn't start with Alabama, Georgia, Missouri. Indeed, even the Chicago Sun-Times notes that this extreme pro-abortion legislation was introduced in February of this year. The flurry pro-life legislation came in reaction to New York's extreme legislation passed by a Democratic-controlled legislator who wants to, quote, codify Roe, in the words of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. But Illinois legislation is inherently worse. According to a previous report by Live Action News' Cassie Fiano-Cheshire, the two bills introduced by Illinois lawmakers would, quote, make the state's abortion laws even more extreme than New York's. HB 2495 and would virtually eliminate all protections for pre-born children, allow infanticide, remove conscious protection laws for health care workers, allow taxpayer funding for abortion, and more. HB 2467 would re repeal the Parental Notice of Abortion Act in 1995, making it so that minors can obtain abortions without parental notification. These bills are so extreme that thousands of citizens flooded the Illinois State uh, Capitol building in protest. The bill also repeals the state's ban on partial birth abortion. One nurse, after witnessing a DNX partial birth abortion, said, quote, He went in with forceps and grabbed the baby's legs and brought them into the birth canal. Then he delivered the body and arm on the way all the way up to the neck. At this point, only the baby's head was still inside. The baby's body was moving. His little fingers were collapsing together. He was kicking his feet. All the while, his little head was still stuck inside. Then Dr. Haskell took a pair of scissors and inserted them in the back of the baby's head. Then he stuck a high-powered suction tube in the hole and sucked the baby's brains out. I almost threw up as I watched him do these things. Next, Dr. Haskell delivered the baby's head, cut the umbilical cord, and delivered the placenta. He threw the baby in a pan along with the placenta and the instruments he used. I saw the baby move in the pan. I asked another nurse, and she said it was just reflexes. On the House floor, expected mother Representative Avery Bourne tearfully pleaded for babies' lives before the bill passed. The Sun-Times writes, quote, We are talking about the most expansive bill we've seen in this state, Bourne said in tears. Surrounded by her female Republican colleagues, we already know that we've got women coming to Illinois to have abortions because we are so expansive on this issue. That will continue. This bill is not about keeping abortion legal in Illinois. This is about a massive expansion that will impact viable babies. And that is wrong. You can read more about this in the uh, article I'll post underneath. And please do go to this website on it because it has a has an hour and six minute uh, video of the first hour of House debate on abortion, where it basically is Mrs. Bourne, Representative Bourne, going after Representative Kelly Cassidy. Not going after. I, I didn't watch the whole thing, but as the article as the article says, it says as you can see from the video. When Representative Bourne sought the question, Bill sponsor Representative Kelly Cassidy, Cassidy's answer to nearly every question when she wasn't stonewalling was, quote, this treats abortion care like any other health care. In other words, the legislation complete, completely ignores what abortion actually is and does, killing a human being. So yeah, check that out. Uh, I got more on this coming. Obama appointed judge blocks Mississippi law banning abortions when baby's heart starts beating. This is coming from May 28th. An activist judge appointed by Barack Hussein Obama blocked the new heartbeat law in Mississippi on Friday, arguing that it, quote, threatens women's rights to an abortion. U.S. District Judge Carlton Reeves issued a, pre a preliminary injunction against the law. 
In his ruling Friday, Reeves said that the heartbeat law would injure women by taking away their, quote, right to an abortion after six weeks before many women know they are already pregnant. The bill, quote, threatens immediate harm to women's rights, especially considering most women do not seek abortion services until after six weeks, the judge wrote. This injury outweighs any interest the state might have in banning abortions after detection of a fetal heartbeat. The heartbeat law, which Governor Phil Bryant signed on in March, would also ban most abortions in the state. An unborn baby's heartbeat is detectable at about six weeks of pregnancy. The research suggests the baby's heartbeat may begin as early as 18 days after conception. Abortionists who violate the legislation could face criminal charges. The law allows exceptions for medical emergencies. We'll get into that part in a second. The Center for Reproductive Rights quickly filed a lawsuit challenging the law on behalf of Jackson Women's Health Organization, the only abortion facility in the state. Brian said he was disappointed by the ruling, Fox News 8 reports. Quote, as governor, I pleasure to do all I can to protect life, he said in a statement Friday. Time and time again, the legislator and I have done just that. I will encourage the attorney general to seek immediate review of the preliminary injunction. Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves criticized State Attorney General Jim Hood, a Democrat, for not doing more to support the, to defend the law. He also urged the state to appeal the ruling. Quote, our heartbeat bill will save lives and protect a generation of Mississippi children with beating hearts, the lieutenant governor said in a statement. It is no surprise that the Obama-appointed lower court federal judge granted this injunction, nor is it a surprise that Jim Hood couldn't find time in his schedule to show up to defend these unborn babies. Pro-life advocates hope that U.S. Supreme Court eventually will uphold the law. Meanwhile, abortion advocates, advocacy groups rejoice at the news. Quote, The sponsors of Mississippi's six-week ban, like those of other extreme bans across the country, are shamelessly seeking to overturn Roe v. Wade, say Nancy Northup, president of the Center of Reproductive Rights. Quote, We will block them at every turn. The Constitution protects a woman's right to make decisions over her body and her life. No, it doesn't. The district court's decision today was a resounding affirmation of this settled law. It's not settled. A spokesman for a spokesperson from the ACLU said that they were also, quote, thrilled by the news. In 2018, Reeves ruled against the Mississippi 15-week abortion ban and drew national attention for his attacks on pro-life motives. He lobbied sharp criticism at pro-life advocates, including false claims that they do not really care about women or babies. Instead, the judge claimed to understand pro-lifers' real motivation, quote, controlling women and minorities, which is kind of funny because he is a black man, and Planned Parenthood is on record, Margaret Sanger, a eugenicist, saying that she wants to exterminate black people. And you got this guy. When you, I, mean, I posted on Facebook the other day with, with, with judges like this who needs Klansmen. I mean, good grief. I mean, which brings us to Justice Clarence Thomas, who rips Planned Parenthood abortion movement as racist. Thanks be to God. He's also a good Catholic from what I understand. May 28th, with the U.S. Supreme Court's decision Tuesday morning to save one part of Indiana's 2016 abortion law while letting another be struck down, Justice Clarence Thomas took the opportunity to explain how the law highlights abortion on demand's deep ties to the American eugenics movement, which he said the nation's highest court has a duty to eventually confront. Amen to that. The 2016 law banned abortion sought specifically because of the preborn's baby's race, sex, ethnicity, and potential disabilities, and required abortions to bury or cremate fetal remains rather than treating them as medical rate waste. On Tuesday morning, the court issued an order reversing the seventh court's decision to invalidate the fetal burial provision, 
while declining to reverse its judgment against the provision banning discriminatory abortions. The conservative Clarence Thomas issued a lengthy concurring opinion explaining that such pro-life laws, quote, promote a state's compelling interest in preventing abortion from becoming a tool of modern-day eugenics. Quote, the use of abortion to achieve eugenic goals is not merely hypothetical, he argued, going on to detail how the, quote, foundations for legalizing abortion in America were laid during the early 20th century birth control movement, which, quote, developed alongside the American eugenics movement. Yes, it did. Quote, as a means of reducing an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings that should never be born at all, Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger argued that, quote, birth control is really the greatest and most truly eugenic method of human generation. Thomas wrote, in her views, birth control has been accepted by the most clear-thinking and far-seeing of the eugenics themselves, eugenicists themselves, as the most constructive and necessary of the means of racial health. Sanger herself campaigned for birth control in black communities, Thomas detailed. In 1930, she opened a birth control clinic in Harlem. Then in 1939, Sanger initiated the Negro Project, an effort to promote birth control in poor southern black communities. In a report entitled Birth Control and the Negro, Sanger and her co-authors identified blacks as the, quote, great problem of the South, the group with, quote, the greatest economic health and social problems. Thomas, but don't forget, they give the Margaret Sanger Awards to anybody. I mean, Hillary Clinton got one, I think, what, a couple years ago? So, yeah. Abortion advocates were sometimes candid about abortion's eugenic possibilities, Thomas wrote, quoting Planned Parenthood President Alan Guttmacher as writing in 1959 that the, quote, quality of the parents must be taken into account, including feeble-mindedness. The question of abortion's permissibility should be, quote, separated from emotional, moral, and religious concepts, Guttmacher argued, and, quote, must have as its focus normal, healthy infants born into homes peopled with parents who have healthy bodies and minds. Enshrining, quote, enshrining a constitutional right on an abortion based on solely on race, sex, or a disability of an unborn child as Planned Parenthood advocates would constitutionalize the views of the 20th century eugenics movement, Thomas warned. A stark contrast to the Supreme Court's zealous defense of the rights of the people have even potentially subjected to race, sex, and disability discrimination in cases unrelated to abortion. Although the court, the court declines to wade in these issues today, we cannot avoid them forever, Thomas concluded. Having created a constitutional right to an abortion, this court is duty-bound to address the, its scope. Man, I hope he does. Great job, Justice Thomas. Now, the Democratic Party is full in on abortion. I mean, literally, if you look at their thing, they are just all, you must want to kill babies to be in the Democratic Party. Des Moines, Iowa, May 29th, Senator Christian Gillibrand said that she disputes church teaching on the priesthood, sexuality, and abortion. The Democratic presidential candidate made the comments while discussing her own beliefs in an interview for Iowa Public Radio's NPR Politics Podcast on Wednesday. Gillibrand was raised in the church and says she still identifies as a Catholic. I wonder if she identifies as all sorts of things whenever it really pleases even though she attends religious services at non-Catholic churches. Shocker. The senator says she disagreed with Catholic teacher on many things. Shocker. Listing abortion, LGBT issues, and the all-male priesthood as points of dissent. Quote, I think the church is wrong on those three issues, says Jill Brand. 
I don't think they're supported by the gospel or the Bible in any way. I just, I don't see it, and I go to two Bible studies a week. I take my faith really seriously. <laughs> Try, I, I can't read that. I've tried reading that a couple times. I can't read it without laughing. <laughs> if you want to read more of that, just go to the uh, go to the, the show notes. I'll have that posted for a lady. By the way, I'm going to link uh, this uh, mug, the mug club, Stephen Louder with Crowder, top five Alabama abortion lies debunked video. It was pretty good. It's only 15 minutes long. It's great. I actually had a lady in the car uh, last week, was it? Yeah, Tuesday. Uh, she brought up abortion in the car. Her, and her she, She's pregnant, and she and her husband sitting in the car, and she talks about how backwards and evil the Alabama people are. So I'm going, oh, this is going to be good. And uh, she didn't yell, but she listened to all the stupid things coming from uh, Comedy Central. No, not Comedy Central. Comedians that are that are newscasters saying, you know, lies, fake news that you know, women will be in prison. Women will not be in prison from this law. Nothing has said any of that. But if you listen to guys like Stephen Colbert and other comedians that supposedly people listen to for news, you think that's the thing. Let me, let me plug on their... Uh, skip of this interpreted her tweet i don't know i'll give it's it to her borderline to you don't need aoc <laughs> on this one because everyone else has been saying that these laws constitute jailing women for murder if a georgia resident plans to travel elsewhere to obtain an abortion when she comes back she could face 10 years imprisonment don't you meaning abortion you how one said 10 and one said 30 yeah, yeah. Exactly. in prison whom are you going to imprison every woman who's had a fertilized egg passed through her no you just i don't know mr <laughs> the mechanical engineer guy that was bill nye the science guy at the end there that they're laughing at uh here's another great clip that i thought was uh perfect for this situation would liberals support it do you think they'd support it then or do you think you guys would protest it? She and her husband did what they thought was best for their baby girl. They got an abortion in the third trimester. Reproductive rights are about health. They are about safety. This is a existential fight for the right and liberty an to control your own body. Abortion yes. cannot just be theoretically <laughs> legal. It has to be literally accessible. Uh, yeah, I feel like Where's it's a like? basic human right that nobody gets to use your body without your consent. I That's had an abortion funny. last what? year. That's it real was an funny. incredible what about jamming forceps in it? for me because I didn't want to become a mother. It is a normal part of uh, women's medical lives. So far, succeeding Shouldn't in limiting be. our access to exercise our constitutional right. It's not a constitutional right. By the way, well, these are the same people who don't believe in the constitutional right to keep and bear arms, which actually is a constitutional yeah. right. <laughs> it's actually spelled out. When we're talking yeah. about amendments, it's number two, right next <laughs> yeah, to number right. one, which includes, right by the, the way, top. freedom of speech, which you also don't believe in. So you're, you're, you're literally yeah. stepping, you've heard of stepping over dollars to pick up pennies? You're stepping over rights to grab ones that don't exist. Like, yeah, freedom of speech, let's move that over here, right yep. to bear arms. Yep. I don't really like it because David Hogg was in a Michael Moore film. Eh, 14th Amendment's right to privacy, therefore you can have an abortion at 32 weeks, says Elizabeth Jeez. Warren. This one I'm pretty confident on. Oh my God. So yeah, watch the rest of it. I'll have it included in the show notes. It's, it's a great 15 minutes. Uh, but anyways, and shockingly enough, Louisiana, who has a Democratic governor, said he will sign the legislature's restrictive abortion bill into law when it reaches his desk, making it illegal to perform an abortion when a fetal heartbeat is present. Although such measures typically put forward by the conservative right, the uh, primary sponsor of Louisiana's legislation is Democratic Senator John Milkovich. 
The bill, signed by the Senate Thursday, provides exceptions in case of the threat to mother's health and in case of mental, medi- medically futile, which means that when the unborn child has a condition where it is like not likely to survive after birth, it does not provide exceptions for rape or incest. Should this become law, any doctor performs an abortion in violation of it faces prosecution and penalty under two separate statutes, one of which, RS 1487, calls for imprisonment at hard labor for one to ten years and a fine ranging from ten thousand to a hundred thousand dollars you have so you got louisiana missouri alabama georgia let's see who else tennessee is passing is trying to pass a bill through the state senate right now uh just saw that uh, yes there it is february 26 tennessee lawmakers advocate fetal heartbeat bill uh a bill that would ban most Tennessee women from obtaining abortions once the fetus heartbeat is detected clearly a key hurdle Tuesday advancing for a full house vote in the GOP dominated legislature. so this is still going on uh, I, I don't know if it's it, didn't, it hasn't gotten banned yet uh, I haven't seen any articles I was looking for it before this, this but this was February 26th of this year and then you have South Carolina who's been trying for a while now to do the same thing this is from 21st of May. Here he is on Fox News uh, earlier this week. As abortion bans advance across the U.S., South Carolina could follow suit now. South Carolina's Republican governor, Henry McMaster, pledging to sign the state's heartbeat bill if it gets to his desk. Okay, so the bill is currently awaiting debate in the state's Senate. Would ban abortions after a heartbeat is detected, which is usually around six weeks. It did pass in the House. So Henry McMaster, the governor of the great state of South Carolina, joins us now. Good morning, Governor. Good morning. Good morning. So what happens next? If it does pass the Senate and it gets to your desk, what are we talking about as far as time frames concerned? Well, I'll sign it immediately and it'll go into effect. Uh, a number of other states have already done it. I think about five and uh, the, the, the momentum around the country is, is towards protecting life, and South Carolina's a pro-life state. But when will the Senate take a vote? Well, they won't do it this year. It'll be next year. We're in a two-year session. It passed the House, as you mentioned. It did not pass. It hadn't, gone to, it hadn't been debated in the Senate, but I, we expect it to be debated next year, mm-hmm. which is the second year of the two-year term, and it, we expect it to right. pass. Governor, how would your bill be different from what we see in Alabama? I think our bill, of course, it hadn't passed the Senate yet, but our bill does allow for some exceptions uh, to the rule. But uh, other than that, it's, it's, it's similar. The main point is once that heartbeat is detected, then abortion is illegal. Unless there are exceptions. And one of the things that, uh, Governor, that a lot of people, critics of these bills have a problem with is it really establishes uh, personhood, they have described it, because you're saying that uh, after six weeks, that's a person, right? That's right. Well, I mean, you you got to draw the line somewhere. There, there are a lot of people that say uh, uh, you, know, you are a person uh, at, at conception. Uh, this says that <clears throat> once that heartbeat is detected, you cannot take that life. We also passed a law two years ago in South Carolina, as I think 21 other states have, that once that, that baby uh, can feel pain, which is at, at about 20 weeks or something like that, then abortion is illegal unless there are exceptions. So the, 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 I think the momentum in the country is swinging 
towards life, and South Carolina is a very pro-life pro state. Life is precious. I, I think we, we need to focus on the life of, of that child, and, uh, and that's what this bill does. Why have we seen an uptick in these pro-life movements around the country? That's a good question. I think the more people think about it, uh, a, a lot of people don't think about it uh, deeply, but when you, when, you, when you have to make a decision, when you have to really think about it, then uh, it, it, I think the, mm. the point that life must begin somewhere, and life is right. precious, there's no doubt about it. We've got people all over the country that can't have children. They'd love to adopt children. Right. There's, so, a, there's a, a, a great opportunities there, but right. life is precious, and we must protect it. So as I said in the last episode, Deo Vendici, South will rise again. I mean, Dixie is leading the path. If you don't don't believe me, go take a map, start coloring all the states that are passing these bills. It's the old Confederacy. Uh, now, some people have said, "Hey, it's kind of funny that they, you know, because of uh, slavery." Don't forget the North was bringing those guys in. The North was pushing slavery. The South had to do it. It became a way of life. The Tocqueville read him. The Tocqueville talks about how it's harmony down in the South, but up North it was segregated beyond belief. He thought it was two different countries. Well, that will conclude episode 15. I'm going to get back to working on the New Mexico trip. I try to get the MP3s together and put some videos together to make the big documentary for that. So please... To keep this from being a year-long project, <laughs> I don't think it'll take that long. But please, if you can, support us, uh, Patreon, PayPal, whatever. It's on the Census Fidelium, that U.S. donations page. We have multiple ways, P.O. Box, whatever. I don't care how you support us, but just please support us. So, uh, yeah, look forward to the documentary coming out. Hopefully that will be good. And then I can work on Colorado and then Wyoming. And after that, if people like it, we'll try to work on something to do more states. I would like to do all 50, but I'm not going to go broke over it either. Well, God bless everyone. Uh, if you would, say a prayer for me tomorrow. And Ave, if you would, I turn 40. Lordy, lordy. Steve turning 40. Thought about queuing up the Mike Gundy episode, the coach from Oklahoma State, when he yells out, I'm a man, I'm 40. Anyways, well, God bless you and Mary keep you. And talk to you next time.